Hi, everyone, and welcome to 7 Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school. I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've known for a very long time. He's a dear friend. You've heard him on this podcast in season one. We did a year together with Net Ministries and then worked together at a high school in the Diocese of Arlington. He's a priest for the Diocese of Arlington and my friend, Father Ed Bresnahan. Hi, Father. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm a little bit sick, as you guys can hear. <laughs> so it's not COVID. It's just a cold. But I haven't had a cold or been sick in over two years now, probably, you know, since COVID. And so it's been like, I feel like a baby. I'm like, oh, I sound sick. You know, <laughs> it's like I forgot how to be sick. Yeah. I think that's been one of the effects of the of the pandemic is that in addition to everybody sort of being more uh, obviously certainly sensitive to the the to COVID nineteen, um, but also just general hygiene and staying keeping distance from each other that he, other diseases colds flus all those kinds of things just went by the wayside. Yeah, it's been, I don't even know how I got sick because we still wear masks at school. We're still wiping everything down. We were even on a break recently for Thanksgiving, so I wasn't even around the kids. I think it's just seasonal. I just get like seasonal sinus kind of things when the weather changes and allergies and stuff. So I just, but I haven't, you know, for two years. So I'm fine. How are you, Father? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am. I am delightful. Um, it's, you know, I mean, uh, life is busy. Parishes are starting to kind of pick up the pace again, and uh, mm -hmm. our parish is starting to run at full steam. It, it's been it's been a blast. We have something like seventy three ministries going on in our parish, so it's everything from you know middle school youth group to high school youth group, college ministry, young adult ministry. We have new family ministry. We have marriage enrichment ministry. We have seniors. I mean, it's literally every walk of life. There's something like twelve Bible studies, and uh, and I'm actually preparing now because we're in the middle of uh, advent uh just kind of generally uh generally at the record at the time of this uh, at the time we were recording mm -hmm. this middle of advent so um so we've got a lot of opportunities just kind of gearing up for days of reflection for some of these different groups and and, and some time to really prepare for prepare for the season I know. And last time we talked, you were a guest on season one. You're one of my first guests, I think, that summer of 2020. So you, a lot has changed, but also a lot has not changed. We're still in kind of this <laughs> pandemic time. So but you're in a different parish. And like you said, um, parish life and kind of life in general has picked up. Like we are able to do more outside of our homes than we were because of vaccines and everything. So I don't know if you want to share any more about what's going on in your life since we last spoke. Um, yeah, I mean, not too terribly much. I mean, I've celebrated it. Can you believe it? Um, I've been a priest for 11 years now. Wow. So, <laughs> so we hit, we hit a milestone. Um, we hit a milestone actually right after the last, uh, the last time I recorded. Um, so I mean, 11 years of priest and, um, and really just, uh, just enjoying, just enjoying the goodness. It's so funny because, you know, I mean, people talk about like, you know, big changes and things like that. And, and at least for me, it's not so much that I have big changes, like in terms like a move is a move, right? Mm -hmm. From a, from one parish to another, but it's not like, um, you know, it's not like, you know, you get a big promotion or like, you know, new tasks or a new, some, some new thing. A lot of times it's just, you know, a constant, um, a constant mission where you never know what day, what, what each day is going to bring. 
Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, one day, I think um, this Wednesday, I have a funeral at Arlington National Cemetery. So it's going to be the first oh. time I've gotten to go there to do, you know, to do a, a special ceremony, uh, a special ceremony to be able to be part of that. You know, little things like that going on. It's it's uh, it's amazing. I, you've got I've got like you know, 20 couples that I'm preparing for marriage, maybe 25 at this point. Um, wow. There's, you know, so, but it's so cool because I mean, the best part about being a, a diocesan priest, the best part about being a parish priest is that you never know what, what the next day is going to bring or what, what's going to happen this day. So it could mm -hmm. be anything from, you know, a little kid that has, you know, questions about, you know, basic questions about faith that their parents are a little bit, you know, not sure about. And they're like, you know what, Father, Father Bresnahan, he, he seems, he seems like a, a good guy. I'd be able to give you a straight answer with some of that. Right. Um, then sometimes it's just somebody who's going through a difficult time. The pandemic has brought a lot of uh, mental struggle, a lot of mental mm -hmm. health uh, uh, struggles. So, you know, without without being um, a counselor or anything, being able to help guide people to the help that they need and being able to sort of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, be in, in some cases that kind of first landing place where somebody who is struggling and doesn't know what to do to be able to provide a, a, a safe place who can listen. Uh, you mm -hmm. never, I mean, you just never know. It's so cool. Yeah, I know. I feel like teaching is similar, right? You know, we have our, our basic kind of things that we do just like you guys do, but you just never know what, what you do. And that it is, it is exciting. It keeps us on our toes for sure. Well, and you're teaching middle school, so you're really like, I mean, you're you the just never, Yeah, you never know you what's going to their mouths. They you don't even know. know. They don't even know. They truly don't. They truly don't. Um, <laughs> well, let's get into this scripture verse um, because you kind of chosen a lengthy one, but it's okay because it's going to give us a lot to talk about. So um, you're going to talk about Genesis um, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. So whenever you are ready. Now the snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He asked the woman, did God really say you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered the snake, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat it or even touch it or else you will die. But the snake said to the woman, you certainly will not die. God knows well that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, and the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking about at the garden in the breezy part of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God then called to the man and asked him, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? of which I had forbidden you to eat? The man replied, The woman whom you put here with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, so I ate it. The Lord God then asked the woman, What is this you have done? The woman answered, The snake tricked me, so I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you, among all the animals, tame or wild. On your belly shall you shall crawl, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. They will strike at your head, 
while you strike at his heel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Thanks be to this God. Is, um, yeah, this is a passage that I think most of us are pretty familiar with. So I'm not going to give a ton of context here. I think you kind of, the passage you read gives us a lot of the context. This is obviously the second creation story or part of the second creation story towards the end, um, our Adam and Eve story. And we're all familiar with, for the, you know, I'm assuming we're all familiar with the, uh, the context of they can eat whatever they want except for this tree. And there's so much figurative language here. Like there's so many symbols and deeper meanings that we can dive into. And I just want to, I, I'm guessing that one of the things we're going to talk about is the last verse that you read, which is known in Catholic circles as the proto-evangelium or the first gospel or like the first time that we hear the good news that even though Adam and Eve have sinned, that we are going to have a savior. So um, I'm not going to say anything, I think, more than that. But my question for you is, why did you pick this passage, Father? Yeah, um, this passage is, it was, so at first I was looking actually at all the, you know, all you, you, you three seasons, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. On, yeah. on three seasons here. You've gotten just a great number of guests who have gone through a lot of things. And I think a lot of times when we reflect, we spend a lot of time on the Gospels and the New Testament. And I yeah. noticed that there wasn't a whole lot from the Old Testament. Yeah, and I thought exactly. to myself, well, what's a good bridge there? So kind of my initial thought was really from there. But the other side is, is that this is a passage passage that gets used quite frequently, um, quite frequently when we talk about, you know, when we talk about confession, when we talk mm-hmm. about marriage, when we talk about, you know, kind of why things are the way they are today, and really just uh, just a lot of that. So it's just such a rich passage with really good descriptive language. I just absolutely appreciated what you said there when you were like, the, the context is pretty much self-evident. Yeah. <laughs> it's not mystery <laughs> or clouded language. It's, you know, it's like they ate an apple. There it is. Right. <laughs> And I mean, I've taught this so many times. So I, you know, I teach scripture, um, teaching figurative language. I've, I've mentioned this on the podcast to sixth graders is a little bit difficult. They're just kind of learning what figurative language is, you know, and then obviously you don't sure. want to take away from the religious truths that are there. Right. So like, it's not so much about the fruit necessarily, but like the, the represents the original sin and you know the tree and the garden and that whole imagery, like what it represents and the truth behind that, you know? So that's kind of hard and difficult to start the year off with, with sixth graders. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I think, I think it is kind of important. I mean, you, the, the negative, uh, the negative connotation is, is that if it's figurative language, therefore it's not real. And therefore, right. the truth it's trying to convey is not real. That's right. like kind of this black and white, almost like an overall black and white look at it, at it. And and obviously, like there's just such a richer text, right? This is not meant to be a biology lesson, right? Right. The, the book of Genesis is not a biology textbook, so um, so it's not trying to suggest that you know all sin comes from the fact that somebody chose to eat an apple, right? right? But more importantly, more importantly, that apple is it represents the freedom, right? It represents it represents the the choice that's mm-hmm. necessary for for love, right? Love mm-hmm. love must like love necessitates freedom. You've got to have. You can't say, "Oh, I love you." You're forced to be my friend. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not that's not how that works, right? So if the Lord desires to have a relationship with his people, there has to be uh, a sense of freedom for the people to be able to say no. I think you were, you're giving a little bit of our net talk, I feel like, a little bit. Do you remember? Was there, the, a net talk? there was a talk, I think, something about like about giving people a love potion. At least we used to do like a really? variation of it. And the idea was like you you would it would sound great for like a second, you know, oh, you would give this potion to whoever you wanted to be in love with you. And that sounds great. But then you would realize 
that they're only loving you because you force them. And that's not what true love is. Like you, you know, you were just describing that true love is freedom. It is choice. You know, Thomas Aquinas's definition, like the effective willing of the good, like it's your will that you are willing to, to bring about this good for the other person, you know, anyways. Exactly. I, we gave, we gave <laughs> I vaguely a remember that. <laughs> so Does it sound familiar? It sounded familiar to yep. me, or at least it sounded like something I've I've given in my classroom. No, that's but. so wild. You know, what's so fascinating is that like that was almost 20 years ago, over 20 years I, ago at this point. I know. When I was like <laughs> writing my little bio, I was like, I've known this man for almost 20 years. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, the, the image I always use is the image of Bruce Almighty, because that's the one where I guess Jim Carrey is uh is given the power uh he's given the power of god but he like god is not allowed to affect free will and so there's this mm -hmm. awesome scene where he's at the end and he's trying to make i guess he's trying to make the girl fall in love with him and he's just so frustrated so he yells at morgan freeman and he's like how do you make someone love you without affecting free will and morgan freeman dressed as god or playing god just says you figure that one out you let me know yeah you can't yeah like they they, <laughs> you, they you go can't. Right. So I, I, you, you mentioned that you kind of picked this because it covers, obviously, a lot of people are familiar with it. Um, sacraments, you mentioned in particular, this, you know, we had a lot of our teachings on the sacrament of marriage and reconciliation from the second and first creation stories. When I read it, I do think a lot about um, reconciliation because of that image of like them realizing their sinfulness, right, and the shame, and then how God kind of approaches them and these questions that God asks that, like, he already knows the answers to. So I don't know if you wanted oh, yeah. to go into a little bit about how this connects to reconciliation and God's response here. Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the, the first thing is it goes all the way back to chapter two when we think about what's the purpose that God places man in the garden for, right? And it says that mankind was placed in the garden to cultivate, right, to husband the to husband the garden to to be a steward of the garden which says a lot about our responsibility to our work here on earth right we're called to be stewards of creation and stewards and caretakers of one another right and uh and so what it means to really fulfill that mission that god has given us uh is, is to be a good steward and where do we find you know adam and eve first when they're eating the apple a lot of people will say oh well eve ate the apple and uh and then you know and then i always like to ask people i'm like well where was adam when eve was eating the apple and it says mm -hmm. he was right there with her mm -hmm. so you gotta you know you've got this guy who's supposed to be stewarding and caring for creation you've got this woman who's supposed to be caring and and, and stewarding creation and they're listening to creation and they're they're leading each other into this uh you know into this uh into this 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 demise uh, if mm -hmm. you will they're they're not doing the thing right they're not doing the mm -hmm. thing that they were supposed to be doing and it and it leads it leads into it leads into more and then the second thing is, is that they're supposed to be caring and cultivating for caring and cultivating creation. And what do they do once they sin? They're tearing pieces of creation off in order to hide themselves from each other. Mm -hmm. And then instead of being called out of creation to steward creation, God has to go find them hiding in the creation. So what do you make of all that? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> it, just, it seems like uh, to me when it comes especially to reconciliation, uh, it's the first recognition that like this is typically how how we still act, right? If a child says a bad word, the first thing they tend to do is cover their mouth, right? The mm. the last thing you want to do when you injure someone or you you wrong them, the last thing you want to do is just walk over to them and pretend like nothing happened, right? There's a sense of you avoid people avoid the tough conversation because it means holding themselves accountable, right? We still mm. hide in creation, right? We still, you know, try to evade God in, in, in that mix. And especially when it comes to confession, I think certainly from a pastoral standpoint, I think a lot of times, you know, even folks who have gotten into a good habit of, of confession, maybe they go every, you know, every couple of weeks or they go every month or two. And then after a while, maybe they, maybe they got off the rails, right? Maybe it's been, you know, maybe three months or four months. And then it becomes that much more awkward, right? We don't want to go back to it. We're like, well, I got to be honest with myself. And, and so, so we find ourselves hiding. And, and sometimes the very thing, like communion, a confession, a return to the church, uh, those kinds of things. Sometimes that's the one thing that would bring us healing, comfort, uh, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, and help. But it's the one thing we avoid. God is the mm -hmm. one person who would give them redemption, except they're hiding from Him. Yeah, I think I think that that is, it's amazing to me how these stories are so ancient and they still so perfectly. And I mean, it, it shouldn't surprise me because it's divinely inspired, right? But yeah, it, of course, <laughs> that it's it's so perfectly captures the human condition because as you said we do still react in this way a child reacts in this way i can think of like what you were saying just now about like we avoid the thing that could heal us you know we avoid that conversation with that person that we could reconcile with or we avoid going to the gym because we know it you know like it hurts that when yeah. you put it off for a while like there's so many things that we avoid that could be good for us and it's just you see it all the way back here and it is just really amazing how how scripture does perfectly the text is the text is thousands of years old and it's still right. relevant as, as as relevant today another really good example of that is if you go down to back to verse uh verse 12 god asks in verse 11 he asks adam he says have you eaten the tree and the man's response is the woman whom you put here with me she gave me the fruit from the tree so i ate it yeah he's real I quick mean, to blame you, <laughs> right but but yeah. take it even a step further because there's only three persons in the world right now right there's god there's there's adam and there's eve according to the story so mm -hmm. adam is literally blaming everybody but himself yeah yeah <laughs> like, i mean if, if we don't do that today i don't know what, what's real totally it's still it's it, it's so perfectly captures the human condition. And I want to talk about that last verse that you read, because that is something that I taught sophomores when we were at the high school. It was one of their vocab words that they had to learn what the, the Proto-Evangelium was and is, because then oh, it, was sure, a yeah. it was a Paschal mystery course. So it was, we didn't spend too much time on the Old Testament, but we talked about how this lined up with Jesus and then his birth and his suffering and his death and the redemption, right? So I don't know if you want to speak a little bit to that and what that means. Well, sure. And I think, I mean, these 15 verses are really in the context of, like you said, it was the second chapter um, for, you know, the story of the rib and Adam and then and then the end of the story uh, with the other with the other curses and, and then the, uh, the 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 rejection from the rejection from from uh, Eden from the garden. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, in the in number 15, in verse number 15, God really he's laying down a curse on the snake, right? There's a there's a punishment and a judgment that's coming out. But with the judgment, there comes um, a path, a path, if you will, that sort of gives us a it, it gives us a little bit of a light. So the couple of words that are, are super important 
here when we when we look at this is uh, first is the word will, right? The word will is future tense, right? So it's I will put uh, enmity, mm-hmm. enmity being, you know, is another good vocab word for you, right? Yeah. Opposition, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Opposition, adversarialness. Mm-hmm. Um, the person, a person who is at enmity with someone it has nothing in common. And, mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a tricky thing, right? Because it looks, because it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. It looks initially like you're maybe he's talking to Eve, but it says I will. So that's future tense, not present tense. And mm-hmm. it's enmity. Currently Eve is not, you know, at odds with the snake. She's listening to the snake. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it says the woman. Right. So it's a definite article, the woman. So there's a woman in the future. Uh, there's a woman in the future who will be at odds with the snake. The serpent um, is not just a, a standard like run of the mill little garden snake that you might have found in the garden, but rather the serpent, which is, you know, Satan, obviously the, 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 the head of the fallen angels. So you have this image of something, someone, I should say, being placed in the future. Right. And it's not just her. Because the key word, the, ne- the key verse comes next is between your offspring and hers. So now mm-hmm. we're looking for a future tense woman who is at enmity with the serpent and with her offspring and has offspring that there's something about the offspring. And then it's the offspring that strikes at the head while the snake strikes, tries to strike at his heel. And so there's this image there's this image right there in the third chapter, 15th verse, that God is promising that the snake will meet his match, right? And his match is going to be this woman in the future with offspring, right? And the offspring will crush the head of the ancient serpent. So in addition to cursing the snake, that's a promise, right? That's a promise of something more. Obviously, you know, for us as Christians, it's very easy to look and say, well, I wonder who the woman and the offspring right. are. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Plot twist. (laughs) Or I should say, spoiler alert. It's Jesus. But the the reality is, is that the church has looked at this for, you know, from the beginning and has recognized the the intention, the divinely inspired intention uh, of the author of Genesis in in pointing towards something, uh, something that's going to happen in the future. In fact, that one passage, right, that one verse opens opens up the context for everything we study in the rest of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's amazing. And, and when I do talk about figurative language with the kids, that's a really good verse to look at. It's like, do you think that this just means that, you know, snakes and people aren't going to get along? Well, not, no. Why would God, you know, there's yeah. so much more than that. So the way that you just broke that open, you know, that's obviously where we get to with that. But it's a, it's a good way to kind of explore the literal versus the spiritual sense. You oh, know? no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, certainly the reality, the reality for us as, as an individual living after the time of Christ is not only just to recognize that Christ and, and his mother, his, his mother, the Blessed Virgin, uh, are obviously the a fulfillment of this, but that you mm-hmm. and I are also still called, <laughs> right? Because he's still trying to crush the heel. Um, he's still trying mm-hmm. to snap at the heel of Christ. And, you know, we're members of this we're members of the body of Christ. So I can sometimes figure that, you know, in our life, sometimes that, that, you know, that sin rears its little ugly head and tries to come after us. And we have this little promise here that, that gives us that, that hope in something more. Oh, I like that. I like that. You know, we've obviously been talking about, cause we're both scripture nerds. So we, we've studied this stuff yeah, and right. we've talked a lot about like the biblical connotations, but I like that real world application too, that, 
you know, through Christ, we can, we need Christ to help us overcome the evil that we encounter, um, that we can also be a part of that crushing of the the head of, of the devil, you know, with the help of Christ and Mary and their intercession, you know. I like that. When I when I was in seminary, there was a there was a guy who used to one of the one of the teachers that used to say grace, 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 right? Everything is grace, but he would always mean grace, 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 and he always meant it in the sense that grace was the thing that initialized. You know, grace was God's action in my life before I even knew that the Lord was asking me and calling me. Right. And the Lord, mm-hmm. the Lord, we read that whole, it was not you who chose me, but I who chose you. Right. Christ acts, acts first. So there's grace at the beginning. And then there's grace in the middle of that conversion and that turning of our hearts. Right. And so we need that grace to, re- to turn back to him. And then there's grace at the end, right. That sees it through. And that's the fruit of the fruit of uh, uh, the fruit of uh, what we do in Christ. So it's there that grace is there before, during and after. Right. And so I, I think it's important to know that God was at work long before he sent us his son, Jesus Christ, to give us a context so that when we would wake up, we'd be like, oh, that's what you've been doing this whole time. Mm-hmm. Then he was certainly there at the time of Christ and redeeming the world and, uh, and, and, and offering that sacrifice, right? That moment where he really does put enmity between the woman and, uh, and her offspring and the snake. Um, and then it's grace that continues because you and I are products in some way of that of that fruit that comes from the from the resurrection. So we still get to experience this. It's like mm-hmm. <laughs> Easter mm-hmm. still matters. You know, it's kind of kind of kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. Again, like there's so much like we talked about reconciliation. You're mentioning grace. This matches up so well with what we've, we talked about with our sin. And then but we have that grace that we can receive in reconciliation to help us overcome that sin. And so this is just, it's so relevant. And back to the biblical kind of um, matchups, this then matches up pretty well with a verse in Revelations, which John, the author of Revelations, he loves using things from Genesis, like in his gospel. So like oh, he would have yeah. been very familiar with this, you know? So um, mm-hmm. I feel like we always hear at mass and obviously you would know better than I, but like this passage or the passage from Revelations 12 about the woman clothed with sun crushing, you know what I mean? Like, I don't mm-hmm. even want to speak about sure. that connection. Do you want to kind of tell us the connection to Revelations as well? Well, yeah. sure. And John John uses John uses Genesis quite frequently because yep. John's understanding and explanation of who Jesus is. I think speaking of figurative language, I think a lot of times when when we not maybe not so much figurative, but when we get to the person of Jesus Christ, it's a little bit hard sometimes to try to explain to people that yes, Jesus came 2000 years ago, but Jesus has always existed. Right. 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 That as a second person of the Trinity, there was not a time when Jesus was not. And so, so John does a beautiful job of really tying those things together by using Genesis. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially in the first chapter of his gospel, when he starts with the word Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. In the beginning was the Mm -hmm. word and the word was with God and the word was God. Right. So he talks a little bit about the origin of Jesus. And then when we get to revelation, which is um, certainly the, 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 maybe the masterpiece outside of Daniel and Ezekiel, the masterpiece of that apocalyptic figurative language, right? 
Mm-hmm. That uh, the 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 beautiful images of beasts with horns and all kinds of things with scrolls and uh, scrolls and and horses horses and riders and mm-hmm. things like that it can be a little bit terrifying, but at the end of the day, there's something truly beautiful about what the Lord is is uh, is describing and unfolding. That even despite all of the dark images and dangerous images and and maybe perhaps terrifying images uh, in in the Book of Revelation, you have this other image, right? This this bright light that's the woman standing i love this because it says she's clothed with the stun clothed with the sun and standing on the moon right she's not in a space suit right obviously in terms of figurative <laughs> language we have to understand that there's something being you know being shown there but what is it right so in that image she's crushing the dragon right she's facing off against the dragon and then also it shows a little bit about kind of where the nature of what we believe about the blessed mother is right she stands on the moon and the moon doesn't produce its own light it illuminates the night but it only does it by reflecting the light of the sun right and so so you have this image of uh, of the blessed mother reflecting um reflecting the light given by given by her given by her son and uh, and so it goes back to again it harkens back to that idea that she's at odds with the with the dragon with the serpent the ancient uh, the ancient snake she's she's the one at enmity with that and it's her with this crown of 12 stars which points to the apostles uh and the 12 tribes of israel and <laughs> right and reflecting the light of her own son crushing the head of the crushing the head of the serpent right you've got this beautiful figurative image this beautiful uh, idea that that here even th- uh, you know even afterwards as as john is trying to paint this picture of um uh, of of what it is that Jesus himself does. He gives us all of the images from Genesis and he kind of throws mm-hmm. them back a little bit and says, hey, by the way, remember when this was said thousands of years ago? Mm-hmm. I know relevant. it's beautiful. I know it's so, it's so beautiful. And then just to kind of tie that all together, you know, as Catholics, we have our statues all over and especially in the sure. Western, Western part. And you, whenever you look at a statue of Mary, the new Eve, you see her with that half crescent moon standing on that half crescent moon that you describe from revelations. And then the serpent, you know, that from Genesis. So they are just so perfectly bookended together, you know, through her. It's almost like the Lord knows what he's doing. Right. I, I mean, mean, almost. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's so funny because sometimes we can get our, like, sometimes I think, uh, you know, we can get into our heads academically, which is, you know, I mean, you can go down the rabbit hole with so much scholarship on what this word means and how this word translates in, you know, from the Hebrew or the Greek, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the connection between the woman in Isaiah, the, the woman in, you know, the, the woman in Revelation and the woman in Genesis, you can put all these pieces together. And at the end of the day, our Lord is saying, you know, hey, these people all, you know, these are all reflections of something that I'm doing, a story that I'm weaving all through time that when it finally comes comes to its fulfillment, it's not so much a, well, that was a good story. I was so entertained. It's more like, well, now everything makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. And there's a challenge, like to bring it back to what you said earlier, too. There's a challenge that how are we going to participate with that grace, with, you know, Mary and and Christ as they crush the the evil in the world? You know, how are we going to be a part of that? So I love that. Oh, sure. That that invitation to for us. Well, and and it's funny because we didn't we didn't continue with the rest of the, the, the rest of the verses. We only went to verse 15. But the two curses that God gives to Adam and Eve, um, they seem a little bit 
um, they seem a little bit harsh, right? So one being pain in childbirth and the other, you know, being this idea that now the fruit that you're going to be producing isn't going to, it's going to give you thorns and thistles. And by the sweat of your brow, you're going to get mm -hmm. bread to eat, right? This idea, but, but both of them also kind of reflect to the, reflect the idea of, of like sacrifice being the language of love, right? This idea that mm. there's something that we do that participates in the work of redemption and the work of the work that Christ, Christ asks of us. It goes back to that image in confession, right? I mean, when you get a penance, eh, sometimes father might be a little lenient on you and give you like, you know, an Our Father, a Hail Mary or something like that. And it doesn't seem like much compared to the gravity of our sins. But at the end of the day, what he's doing is he's asking us in a small way to suffer, a small way to suffer, to connect ourselves with the redemption that Jesus Christ does. And that redemption comes through sacrifice so sacrifice becomes uh an image uh an image of or sacrifice because that becomes that language by which love is spoken to another the way that god speaks to us and the way that we offer offer ourselves to one another so a lot of beautiful imagery there with marriage and a lot of beautiful imagery there with confession just like we said ah that's so well said and uh, yeah i mean when we talk about it this way everything makes sense right every it's just right it's, just, it's so beautiful <laughs> but unfortunately i mean we don't hear this all the time, you know, in our um, Catholic upbringing or on a homily or something. I don't think that we we always have the opportunities to unpack things like this. So I'm glad that uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, to unpack it with me. Well, you know, I mean, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, we, 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 we make that mistake of um, we, 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 had, we had a homily for what, like, maybe if it's too long it's like 10 to 15 minutes right <laughs> but, you know so but like 10 minutes a week we're getting some kind of catechesis and the rest of it's coming from you know whatever we experience in the world so sometimes i think it would be nicer i think everybody i think everybody would be well served by spending some time personal prayer reading the reading the bible but also in a bible study of some sort mm -hmm. getting connected to your parish on a day other than sunday Absolutely. Well, you were mentioning at the beginning of all of the things that your parish is involved with. At the end of the podcast, I give people an opportunity to plug. And so what would you like to, to plug that you and your parish are up to? <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> well, actually, I would like to plug. We have we have our own podcast, if you can believe it. Um, I can. It's a fun You're little... so good at this. I love it. <laughs> so kind of you. Um, no, we, uh, we have our own podcast. And what we do is... Um, uh, we interview the folks in our parish about all the different kinds of things that we're doing. So it's uh, it's relevant, obviously, to the people of Nativity, but it's also uh, relevant to people around, you know, around, I would say around the world, just because it gives you an idea of what's what's out there in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, our first episode is about, you know, is all about, you know, social justice and mission work uh, in the country of Haiti. Um, we have uh, we had a second person on who talked a little bit about our rosary, our rosary making ministry, our grief support ministry. She does a number of different things. Um, we've interviewed people about our bapt about baptism and how the baptism process and how how parishes go through baptism. And we think it provides something that a lot of times people don't get unless maybe you're asked to be a godparent and you're asked to be a godparent you're like oh, i don't know what that is so we try to help you know educate people a little bit that way so it's just simple it's called the nativity podcast and it's a lot of fun wow so the nativity podcast wasn't taken that's interesting no can you believe it we thought for I sure somebody was gonna be like you know excited yeah. about like the star or christmas right. or something <laughs> that's such a cool project i agree with you i think it's just probably inspiring for other parishes to maybe hear what uh, you know what can be done um, get some ideas. You know, me as a teacher, I'm always looking for other ideas. And so if you have a parish that's doing all these things, you know, you can borrow and 
and be inspired by the things that you're doing. So I love that you all are communicating that. Um, if you all would like to learn more about this podcast, you can find me on Instagram at Seven Mile Chats, all spelled out. You can also find me on Twitter at Miss Struckley One, M S S T R U K E L Y One. I tweet a lot about what I'm doing in my classroom. If you're interested in looking at activities for religious education, you can find me there. And if you'd like to be a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me on either of those platforms. Um, but Father, it was such a great way to kick off this third season with you. I really um, enjoy talking to you. So thank you for doing this. It is always a blessing to be with you. God bless you, Julie. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone.